Section six of the Rover. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Liam Fricker. The Rover, by Joseph Conrad. Chapter six. By that time, the Amelia had been towed half a mile or so away from Cape Easterland. This change had brought her nearer to the two watchers on the hillside, who would have been plainly visible to the people on her deck, but for the head of the pine which concealed their movements. Lieutenant Riel, bestriding the rugged trunk as high as he could get, had the whole of the English ship's deck open to the range of his pocket glass which he used between the branches. He said to Pedro suddenly, Her captain just came on deck. Pedro, sitting at the foot of the tree, made no answer for a long while. A warm drowsiness lay over the land and seemed to press down his eyelids. But inwardly, the old rover was intensely awake. Under the mask of his immobility, with half-shut eyes and idly clasped hands, he heard the lieutenant, perched up there near the head of the tree, mutter counting something. One, two, three, and then a loud, Barbe! After which the lieutenant in his trunk-bestriding attitude began to jerk himself backwards. Payroll got up out of his way, but could not restrain himself from asking, What's the matter now? I will tell you what's the matter, said the other excitedly. As soon as he got his footing, he walked up to old Payroll, and when quite close to him, folded his arms across his chest. The first thing I did was to count the boats in the water. There was not a single one left on board. And now I just counted them again, and found one more there. That ship had a boat out last night. How I missed seeing her pull out from under the land, I don't know. I was watching the decks, I suppose, and she seems to have gone straight up to the tow rope. But I was right. That Englishman had a boat out. He seized Pavel by both shoulders suddenly. I believe you knew it all the time. You knew it, I tell you. Pavel, shaken violently by the shoulders, raised his eyes to look at the angry face within a few inches of his own. In his worn gaze there was no fear or shame, but a troubled perplexity and obvious concern. He remained passive, merely remonstrating softly. Dusman, Dusman. The lieutenant suddenly desisted with a final jerk, which failed to stagger old Payroll, who, directly he had been released, assumed an explanatory tone. For the ground is slippery here. If I had lost my footing, I would not have been able to prevent myself from grabbing at you, and we would have gone down that cliff together, which would have told those Englishmen more than twenty boats could have found out in as many nights. Secretly, Lieutenant Riel was daunted by Payroll's mildness. It could not be shaken. Even physically, he had an impression of the utter futility of his effort. As though he tried to shake a rock, he threw himself on the ground, carelessly saying, 
As for instance, Payroll lowered himself with a deliberation appropriate to his grey hairs. You don't suppose that out of a hundred and twenty or so pairs of eyes on board that ship there wouldn't be a dozen at least scanning the shore. Two men falling down a cliff would have been a startling sight. The English would have been interested enough to send a boat ashore to go through our pockets, and whether dead or only half dead, we wouldn't have been a state to prevent them. It wouldn't matter so much as to me, and I don't know what papers you may have in your pockets, but they are your shoulder straps, your uniform coat. I carry no papers in my pockets, and... A sudden thought seemed to strike the lieutenant, a thought so intense and far-fetched as to give his mental effort a momentary aspect of vacancy. He shook it off and went on in a changed tone. The shoulder straps would not have been much of a revelation by themselves. No, not much, but enough to let her captain know that he had been watched. For what else could the dead body of a naval officer with a spyglass in his pocket mean? Hundreds of eyes may glance carelessly at that ship every day from all parts of the coast, though I fancy those landsmen hardly take the trouble to look at her now. But that's a very different thing from being kept under observation. However, I don't suppose all this matters much. The lieutenant was recovering from the spell of that sudden thought. Papers in my pocket, he muttered to himself. That would be a perfect way. His parted lips came together in a slightly sarcastic smile, with which he met Pavel's puzzled sidelong glance, provoked by the inexplicable character of these words. I bet, said the lieutenant, that ever since I came here first, you have been more or less worrying your old head about my motives and intentions. Payroll said simply, You came here on service at first, and afterwards you came again because even in the Toulon fleet, an officer may get a few days leave. As to your intentions, I won't say anything about them, especially as regards myself. About ten minutes ago, anybody looking on would have thought they were not friendly to me. The lieutenant sat up suddenly. By that time, the English sloop, getting away from under the land, had become visible even from the spot on which they sat. Look! exclaimed Ria. She seems to be forging ahead in this calm. Payroll, startled raised his eyes and saw the Amelia clear off the edge of the cliff and heading across the passé. All her boats were already alongside, and yet, as a minute or two of steady gazing was enough to convince Payroll, she was not stationary. She moves, there is no denying that. She moves. Watch the white speck of that house on Porkerow. There. The end of her jaboom touches it now. In a moment, her head sails will mask it to us. I would never have believed it, 
muttered the lieutenant after a pause of intent gazing and look payroll look there is not a wrinkle in the water payroll who had been shading his eyes from the sun let his hand fall yes he said she would answer to a child's breath quicker than a feather and the english very soon found it out when they got her she was caught in genoa only a few months after i came home and got my moorings here i didn't know murmured the young man aha lieutenant said payroll pressing his finger to his breast it hurts here doesn't it there's nobody but good frenchmen here do you think it is a pleasure to me to watch that flag out there at her peak look you can see the whole of her now look at her ensign hanging down as if there were not a breath of wind under the heavens he stamped his foot suddenly and yet she moves those in toulon that may be thinking of catching her dead or alive would have to think hard and make long plans to get good men to carry them out there was some talk of it at the Doulon Admiralty, said Rill. The rover shook his head. They need not have sent you on the duty, he said. I have been watching her now for a month. Her and the man who has got her now. I know all his tricks and all his habits and all his dodges by this time. The man is a seaman. That must be said for him but i can tell beforehand what he will do in any given case lieutenant Riel lay down on his back again his clasped hands under his head he thought that this old man was not boasting he knew a lot about the english ship and if an attempt to capture her was to be made his ideas would be worth having nevertheless in his relations with old payroll lieutenant Riel suffered from contradictory feelings riel was the son of a cedarvant couple small provincial gentry who both had lost their heads on the scaffold within the same week as to their boy he was apprenticed by order of the delegate of the revolutionary committee of his town to a poor but pure-minded joiner who could not provide him with shoes to run his errands in but treated this aristocrat not unkindly nevertheless at the end of the year the orphan ran away and volunteered as a boy on board one of the ships of the republic about to sail on a distant expedition at sea he found another standard of values in the course of some eight years suppressing his faculties of love and hatred he arrived at the rank of an officer by sheer merit and had accustomed himself to look at men sceptically without much scorn or much respect his principles were purely professional and he had never formed a friendship in his life more unfortunate in that respect than old payroll who at least had known the bonds of the lawless brotherhood of the coast he was of course very self-contained payroll whom he had found unexpectedly settled in the peninsula was the first human being to break through that schooled reserve which the precariousness of all things had forced on the orphan of the revolution 
Payroll's striking personality had aroused realist interest. Our mistrustful liking mixed with some contempt of a purely doctrinaire kind. It was clear that the fellow had been next to a pirate at one time or another, a sort of past which could not commend itself to a naval officer. Still, Payroll had broken through, and presently the peculiarities of all those people at the farm, each individual one of them, had entered through the breach. Lieutenant Rill, on his back closing his eyes to the glare of the sky, meditated on old Pedro, while Pedro himself, with his white head bare in the sunshine, seemed to be sitting by the side of a corpse. What in that man impressed Lieutenant Rill was the faculty of shrewd insight. The facts of Rill's connection with the farmhouse on the peninsula were much as Pedro had stated. First on specific duty about establishing a signal station, then, when that project had been given up, voluntary visits, not belonging to any ship of the fleet, but doing shore duty at the arsenal, Lieutenant Rill had spent several periods of short leave at the farm, where, indeed, nobody could tell whether he had come on duty or on leave. He personally could not, or perhaps would not, tell even to himself why it was that he came there. He had been growing sick of his walk. He had no place in the world to go to, and no one either. Was it Pavo he was coming to see? A mute, strangely suspicious, defiant understanding had established itself imperceptibly between him and that lawless old man who might have been suspected to have come there only to die, if the whole robust personality of Pable, with its quiet vitality, had not been antagonistic to the notion of death. That rover behaved as though he had all the time in his world as command. Pable spoke suddenly, with his eyes fixed in front of him as if he was addressing the island of Bokuron, eight miles away. Yes. I know all her moves, though I must say that this trick of dodging close to our peninsula is something new. <clears throat> Fish for the captain's breakfast, mumbled Reel without opening his eyes. Where is she now? In the middle of the passé, busy hoisting in her boats, and still moving. That ship will keep her way as long as the flame of a candle on her deck will not stand upright. That ship is a marvel. She has been built by French shipwrights, said old Payroll bitterly. This was the last sound for a long time. Then the lieutenant said in an indifferent voice, You are very positive about that. How do you know? I have been looking at her for a month, whatever name she might have had, or whatever name the English call her by now. Did you ever see such a bow on an English-built ship? The lieutenant remained silent, as though he had lost all interest, and there had been no such thing as an English man-of-war within a mile. But all the time he was thinking hard. 
he had been told confidently of a certain piece of service to be performed on instructions received from paris not an operation of war but service of the greatest importance the risk of it was not so much deadly as particularly odious a brave man might well have shrunk from it and there are risks not death from which a resolute man might shrink without shame have you ever tasted of prison payroll he asked suddenly in an affectedly sleepy voice it roused payroll nearly into a shout heavens no prison what do you mean by prison i have been a captive to savages he added calming down but that's a very old story i was young and foolish then later when a grown man i was a slave to the famous ali Kasim. i spent a fortnight with chains on my legs and arms in the yard of a mud fort on the shores of the persian gulf there was nearly a score of us brothers of the coast in the same predicament in consequence of a shipwreck yes the lieutenant was very languid indeed and i dare say you all took service with that bloodthirsty old pirate there was not a single one of his thousands of blackamoors that can lay a gun properly but ali Kasim made war like a prince we sailed a regular fleet across the gulf took a town on the coast of arabia somewhere and looted it then i and the others managed to get a hold of an armed dhow and we fought our way right through the blackamoor's fleet several of us died of thirst later all the same it was a great affair but don't you talk to me of prisons a proper man if given a chance to fight can always get himself killed you understand me yes i understand you drawled the lieutenant i think i know you pretty well i suppose an english prison that is a hobo subject of conversation interrupted payroll in a loud emotional tone naturally any death is better than a prison any death what is it you have in your mind lieutenant oh it isn't that i want you to die drawled real in an uninterested manner payroll his entwined fingers clasping his legs gazed fixedly at the english sloop floating idly in the passe or he gave up all his mind to the consideration of these words that had floated out idly too into the peace and silence of the morning then he asked in a low tone do you intend to frighten me the lieutenant laughed harshly neither by word gesture nor glance did payroll acknowledge the enigmatic and unpleasant sound but when it ceased the silence grew so oppressive between the two men that they got up by a common impulse the lieutenant sprang to his feet lightly 
The uprising of Pebo took more time and had more dignity. They stood side by side, unable to detach their longing eyes from the enemy ship below their feet. I wonder why he put himself into this curious position, said the officer. I wonder, growled Pavo curtly, if there had been only a couple of eighteen-pounders placed on the rocky ledge to the left of us, we could have unrigged her in about ten minutes. Good old gunner, commented Real ironically, and what afterwards? Swim off, you and I, with our cutlasses in our teeth, and take her by boarding? What? This sally provoked in Pebble an austere smile. No, no, he protested soberly. But why not let Toulon know? Bring out a frigate or two and catch him alive. Many a time have I planned his capture just to ease my heart. Often I have stared at night out of my window upstairs across the bay to where I knew he was lying at anchor and thinking of a little surprise I could arrange for him if I were not only old payroll, the gunner. Yes, and keeping out the way at that with a bad note against his name in the books of the Admiralty in Toulon. You can't say I've tried to hide myself from you, who are a naval officer, struck in payroll quickly. I fear no man. I did not run. I simply went away from Toulon. Nobody had given me an order to stay there. And you can't say I ran very far either. That was the cleverest move of all. You knew what you were doing. Here you go again, hinting at something crooked, like that fellow with big epaulets at the port office that seemed to be longing to put me under arrest just because I brought a prize from the Indian Ocean, 8,000 miles, dodging clear of every Englishman that came in my way, which was more, perhaps, than he could have done. I have my gunner's warrant signed by Citizen Trimmer, a chef de scadre. It wasn't given me for twirling my thumbs or hiding that cable tear when the enemy was about. There were on board our ships some patriots that weren't above doing that sort of thing, I can tell you. But republic or no republic, that kind wasn't likely to get a gunner's warrant. That's all right, said Rian with his eyes fixed on the English ship, the head of which was swung to the northward now. Look, she seems to have lost her way at last, he remarked parenthetically to Payroll, who also glanced that way and nodded. That's all right, but it's on record that you managed in a very short time to get very thick with a lot of patriots ashore, section leaders. Terrorists? Why, yes. I wanted to hear what they had to say. They talked like a drunken crew of scallywags that had stolen a ship. But at any rate, 
it wasn't such as they had sold the port to the English. They were a lot of bloodthirsty landlubbers. I did get out of town as soon as I could. I remembered I was born around here. I knew no other bit of France, and I didn't care to go any further. Nobody came to look for me. No, not here. I suppose they thought it was too near. They did look for you, a little, but they gave it up. Perhaps if they had preserved and made an admiral of you, we would not have been beaten at Abukir. At the mention of that name, Payroll shook his fist at the serene Mediterranean sky. And yet we were no worse men than the English, he cried. And there are no such ships as ours in the world. You see, Lieutenant, the Republican God of these talkers would never give us seamen a chance of fair play. The Lieutenant looked round in surprise. What do you know about a Republican God? he asked. What on earth do you mean? I have heard of and seen more gods than you can ever dream of in a long night's sleep, in every corner of the earth, in the very heart of forests, which is an inconceivable thing. Figures, stones, sticks, there must be something in the idea. And what I meant, he continued in a resentful tone, is that the Republican god, which is neither stick nor stone, but seems to be some kind of lubber, has never given us seamen a chief, like that one the soldiers have got ashore. Lieutenant Rian looked at Pavel with unsmiling attention, then remarked quietly, Well, the god of the aristocrats is coming back again, and it looks as if he were bringing an emperor along with him. You've heard something of that, you people in the farmhouse, haven't you? No, said Payroll. I have heard no talk of an emperor. But what does it matter? Under one name or another, a chief can be no more than a chief, and that general whom they've been calling consular is a good chief. Nobody can deny that. After saying those words in a dogmatic tone, Payroll looked up at the sun and suggested that it was time to go down to the farmhouse pour manger la soupe. With a sudden gloomy face, Rian moved off, followed by Payroll. At the first turn of the path, they got the view of the Escambar buildings, with the pigeons still walking in the ridges of the roof, of the sunny orchards and yards, without a living soul in them. Pavel remarked that everybody, no doubt, was in the kitchen, waiting for his and the lieutenant's return. He himself was properly hungry. And you, lieutenant? The lieutenant was not hungry. Hearing this declaration made in a peevish tone, Pavel gave a sagacious movement of his head behind the lieutenant's back. Well, Whatever happened, a man had to eat. He, Payroll, knew what it was to be altogether without food, but even half rations was a poor show, 
very poor show for anybody who had to walk or to fight. For himself, he couldn't imagine any conjecture that would prevent him from having a meal as long as there was something to eat within reach. His unwanted garrulity provoked no response, but Payroll continued to talk in that strain as though his thoughts was concentrated on food, while his eyes roved here and there and his ears were open for the slightest sound. When they arrived in front of the house, Pavel stopped to glance anxiously down the path to the coast, letting the lieutenant enter the café. The Mediterranean, in that part which could be seen from the door of the café, was as empty of all sail as a yet undiscovered sea. The dull tinkle of a cracked bell on the neck of some wandering cow was the only sound that reached him, accentuating the Sunday peace of the farm. Two goats were lying down on the western slope of the hill. It all had a very reassuring effect, and the anxious expression on Pavel's face was passing away when suddenly one of the goats leapt to its feet. The rover gave a start and became rigid in a pose of tense apprehension. A man who is in such a frame of mind that a leaping goat makes him start cannot be happy. However, the other goat remained lying down. There was really no reason for alarm, and Payroll, composing his features as near as possible to their usual placid expression, followed the lieutenant into the house. End of section 6